Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pratt, a TV voice of the Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 41 of season two of the Grizz Weekly Grind. We're going to talk about what else? The rally in game five to give the Grizzlies a three games to two series lead when all appeared lost in the early fourth quarter when the Grizzlies were down 13. We'll also talk about game six. On Thursday afternoon, the Grizzlies will fly to Minneapolis. Friday night, 8 o'clock Central Time. That's the tip time for Game 6 between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Minnesota Timberwolves. It'll be seen nationally on ESPN and regionally on Bally Sports Southeast. So for viewers in the Memphis area, 7.30 for Grizzlies Live, presented by Ford and your Mid-South Ford dealers, then an 8 o'clock tip time as the Grizzlies will try to close out the series against the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll talk about the series to date and a look ahead to Game 6 with today's friend of the program. He is Chris Harrington of the Daily Memphian. We'll do that was the week that was. Recap Game 5 and some Petey's points on the series overall. But first, we tell you that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. They've helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like some more information, go to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow them at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. Now, this is important for uh, those of you that have boys that want to get involved in uh, summer basketball camps. The uh, schedule for the 2022 summer basketball camps has been released. It is on the website, and you can read all about it there. Uh, skills and drills, contests and games, expert instruction. You get a reversible jersey, camp certificate, a whole lot more. And right now, an early bird discount for the camps. If you register by May 29th, you can save $100 with the coupon code EARLY. And these camps, they always sell out very, very quickly. So if you've got a, a, a young fellow who's interested in one of these camps, and the first camp is going to start on May 31st. So uh, start dates include May 31st, June 13th, June 27th, July 11th, and August 1st. And uh, they'll be at uh, Christ Church, Christ the King, and Independent Presbyterian Church. So go to the website, and you will get full information. But if you want to make sure that uh, your young fella gets uh, signed up for one of these camps, go ahead to hoopcitybc.com and uh, and get that taken care of so that they can uh, participate in one of those great basketball camps. So thanks to uh, Ernie Kuyper and uh, the whole crew at Hoop City BC for their continued support of the Grizz Weekly Grind. All right, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Which, in this case, is game number five. Uh, the Grizzlies, great atmosphere. In case you weren't there, in case you didn't see the towels, Memphis, 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 Memphis. Uh, that was on the towels, and the Grizzlies got out to a 13-2 start. Looked really good. Looked like maybe the Grizzlies will, would have broken the spirit of the Minnesota Timberwolves. That would not be the case. Minnesota would come back. They would shoot a, just a ridiculous 58% in the first quarter and 7 of 11 from 3. They missed eight shots, had seven turnovers, did Minnesota. They didn't have any offensive rebounds, uh, and they lead it after one quarter, 31-28. to 28. Grizzlies had 16 paint points, so uh, the theme was set early. Grizzlies in the paint, Minnesota from the arc. First quarter, great balance scoring. Uh, six by D'Angelo Russell. He was two for two from three. Edwards didn't hit a three, but 
Yeah, he did have five points, as did Carl Anthony Towns. So Minnesota off to a good start. Another 30-point first quarter for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Grizzlies got a seven-point second quarter from Desmond Bain. Anthony Edwards with nine in the second quarter for Minnesota. Grizzlies would pull within two at 55-53 at halftime. Grizzlies minus five in threes made. Grizzlies, the good news defensively, is they forced seven turnovers from Minnesota in the second quarter. Bad news is Grizzlies committed six in the period, and so the turnover story was not the advantage the Grizzlies would have hoped that it would be. And that's been one of the turning points for this series, the Grizzlies turning up the defense and forcing Minnesota into a lot of mistakes. Uh, But the Grizzlies, again, at halftime, they could not carve out an advantage because the Grizzlies were very turnover-prone themselves. Minnesota coming up with five steals in that first half. So halftime, it's 55-53, anybody's ball game. Third quarter, this is where it got really dicey because Carl Anthony Towns, and we've talked about this before on the program, when Carl Anthony Towns shows up in a big way, Minnesota usually wins. Big third quarter for Towns, 12 of his 19 coming in the third quarter. Minnesota puts up another 30-point quarter. They outscore the Grizzlies. 30 to 21. They have an 11 point lead heading to the fourth quarter. Big story through three quarters Grizzlies 59% from the free throw line. Grizzlies through three quarters plus three in free throws attempted, but minus three in free throws made. And they're minus eight in threes made. Grizzlies went 0 for 8 from three in the third quarter. But the play of the game, at least in retrospect, the John Morant jackhammer dunk late in that third quarter. But the Grizzlies are still down 85-74. Minnesota would go on early fourth quarter, and they would lead by double digits. And then the Grizzlies started to do what the Grizzlies have done in the series. Uh, They got a big fourth quarter, 10 rebounds from Brandon Clark, in the period alone, seven of them coming on the offensive glass. Added just five points to his total finish with a playoff career high, 21 and 15 rebounds, but it was Morant's quarter. Morant with 18 points in the fourth quarter. Morant got off to a great start with assists, had seven in the first half, only two in the second half, but in the fourth quarter, Ja took over, and after struggling from the free throw line, Remember, Morant started this game through three quarters, was two of seven from the free throw line. He went nine of 10 from the free throw line in the quarter. Meanwhile, Minnesota only got to the line five times in the fourth quarter overall. Grizzlies would end up plus 15 and makes plus five in free throws made. And the Grizzlies, despite the fact they were minus seven in threes, 14 to seven, despite the fact that Minnesota ended up outshooting the Grizzlies 45% to 42%, well, the Grizzlies had 11 more shots on goal, 18 offensive rebounds by the Grizzlies for the game, leading to 23 second chance points. Grizzlies had their biggest edges in the paint, 62-38, and in second chance points, 23 to six. Grizzlies were working hard on the offensive glass, And the Grizzlies get the victory. Everybody has seen it by now. John Morant, after Anthony Edwards ties the game with a corner three-pointer, Morant takes it to the rim against Jared Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, very long, decent defender, decent shot blocker. Morant got the layup to roll in. 
with a second left, Carl Anthony Towns with a three-quarter court heave that came nowhere near the bucket, and the Grizzlies win it 111-109. For the second time this series, the Grizzlies come back from a double-digit deficit to win the game. Grizzlies trailed by as many as 13 in this game. After blowing an early 11-point lead, they win it 111-109. Grizzlies now lead it three games to two as we head to Game 6 in Minneapolis on Friday night. And that was the week that was. So as we get into PD's points, just some random thoughts going into Game 6. Number one, obviously, the Grizzlies, their offensive rebounding has been fantastic. And Brandon Clark, major tip of the cap for him. You know, Brandon Clark, all-rookie, in his first year in the league. Last year, the production was down a little bit. You remember the series against Utah, he was out of the rotation. And even the start of this season, Brandon Clark was not part of the rotation. A lot of early minutes for John Conchar. Great hustle guy, wins you a lot of possessions. And Brandon Clark then had an issue where he had a sore knee. And there were whispers, Is can this guy ever stay healthy? If he stays healthy, he can be productive. But can he stay healthy? He did have that period with with some knee soreness in the early part of the year. And I remember talking to him in Miami and he said, you know, there's nothing structural. It's just sore. I'm working to get back. I'll be fine. And so the hip and knee injuries that had plagued him last year uh, finally went away and he has been healthy. His bounce is incredible. We all know that, that he, he can just jump off of two feet better than most people can with a running start. And even though he is maybe a little bit smaller than some of the other players, he can still play against bigger guys, not because of length, but because of his athleticism. So major tip of the cap to Brandon Clark. And by way of that, just looking at Taylor Jenkins, and we'll touch on this when we bring uh, Chris Harrington on as our friend of the program. The ability, the willingness, the inventiveness, the creativity of Taylor Jenkins to understand what the situation requires and making changes in the rotation Big kudos to him for doing that. And I think it's been part of the the change in him, the maturation of him as a playoff head coach. Obviously, he'd been through the playoff wars with Milwaukee and with Atlanta. But to be the head coach in a playoff series against a team that matches up against you as well as any team in the NBA, uh, you need to make adjustments. And Taylor has been decisive about those adjustments. Maybe not all of them have worked out, but by and large, he seems to have pushed the right buttons at the right time. Additionally to that, the Grizzlies have to shoot better from the free throw line. If the Grizzlies shot right at their season average or a little bit better, you know, maybe this maybe the series is over already. Um, but what's funny, when, when you look at the game-by-game stats here, um, Grizzlies shot 65% in game three from the free throw line and won. And then they shoot 67% from the line in game five and they win that one. So you look at it and the Grizzlies by rights, you'd think the two games that they shoot below 70%, they're not going to win. And they won those games. Now in uh, game, the game two win, they did shoot 78% from the free throw line. The discrepancy between free throw percentage is remarkable because Grizzlies are shooting right around 72%. Minnesota, 83% from the line. The Grizzlies are plus 28 in attempts, but they are only plus four in free throws made. Look, Minnesota is going to foul you. They are not terribly disciplined defensively. They're long, they're aggressive, they're physical. They will put you on the free throw line. 
got to make your free throws. Uh, and, you know, Brevin and I have talked about this through the course of the season. You just hope that the poor free throw shooting does not cost you in a big game. And right now, you got an elimination game, an opportunity to send Minnesota home in game six. And if not, now you got to come home from game seven. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, free throw shooting in game seven, if there is a game seven, could be a huge factor in this basketball game. Uh, Grizzlies have been dominant on the offensive glass. They are plus 23 in offensive rebounds and plus 20 in rebounds overall in the series. Grizzlies have also forced 18 more turnovers from Minnesota than the Grizzlies have committed. Grizzlies are averaging 115 points per game. Minnesota's averaging 110. So, you know, when you look at a 3-2 lead for the Grizzlies at this point, yeah, it's, it's, it's a justifiable result. But you know Minnesota's going to come out with great energy in Game 6. Is that energy going to be properly applied or is it going to be misapplied? Because sometimes, and we saw this, I thought, in Game 1 with the Grizzlies. I thought they were just too amped up to play Game 1 and missed some shots early and did not get an offensive rhythm in that game. And then defensively, they really suffered. You know, you give up 130 points, uh, you're not going to win many basketball games that way. So how Minnesota will come out, uh, I'm sure they're going to come out with great energy. They're going to come out with great desperation. The Grizzlies, in my opinion, have to match that desperation because you do not want to, at least to my way of thinking, you do not want to allow the potential for the fates to intervene in a game seven. And by that, I mean, yes, you are at home. All it takes is for somebody's knee to give out, for somebody to step on somebody's foot, and now you sustain a major injury in a winner-take-all game. Handle your business while you can. I know the Grizzlies have not had much success this year in Minnesota. Even the game that they won, they were down 26. The Grizzlies have to play. I think they have to play more desperate basketball than Minnesota. Because you just don't want to deal with a seventh game, even if it is at home. If if I'm Taylor Jenkins of the Grizzlies, I don't want to think about, well, it's two to win one. You just, I think you need to approach game six like it's a winner take all. You don't want to come home for a game seven. You are going to come home and you're going to play the Golden State Warriors who will be well rested because they beat Denver on Wednesday night to win that series four games to one. The longer the Grizzlies series goes, the shorter the turnaround is going to be for Golden State. It's not going to be a real long turnaround anyway because you're going to play Friday night. And let's say the Grizzlies win on Friday night. You're playing Sunday at home against Golden State. Um, And even if you go ahead and, and, and you win it in seven, it's going to be an equally short turnaround. Because then the game, uh, game one would then be on Tuesday. Bottom line is, get this done. Get this over with. Get your focus on Golden State. That would be the goal for the Grizzlies. Uh, you don't want to give Golden State any more rest than they will already have. Um, you want to go ahead, play them on Sunday? Great. Shorter rest. It's not going to matter to the Grizzlies. The end of the series with, Mem- uh, with uh, Minnesota and the start of the series with Golden State, there's going to be a day off, and then you start playing again. So from the Grizzlies' perspective, it'd be staying in a rhythm. From Golden State's perspective, it would be greater rest for them if the Grizzlies have to go seven games against Minnesota. Who's going to be the star of Game 6 for the Grizzlies? Morant has been very good at home in this series, getting into the paint and scoring the basketball. 
He has struggled just a total of 16 pain points in the two games in Minnesota. Minnesota's defense, when they are at home against Morant, has been fantastic. Remember Patrick Beverly in game five, fouls out. How is he going to play? Will he be able to stay on the floor or is he going to be foul prone? The defense against Morant and how he responds to it is going to play a major role in who wins game six. Another player that needs to stay on the floor for the Grizzlies is Jaron Jackson Jr. When he's on the floor, he's a matchup nightmare. The Grizzlies, and we talked about this during the telecast of game five, both these teams have matchup nightmares. Carl Anthony Towns is a matchup nightmare. He's a 40% shooter from three. He's 50% inside the arc. He's 60% inside the restricted area. Among the league leaders in driving field goals made and one opportunities uh, and conversions, that's Minnesota's matchup nightmare. The Grizzlies have a matchup nightmare with Jaron Jackson Jr., but can't stay on the floor because of the fouls. And this, this is not an officiating issue. There, there might have been one or two calls that were reputation calls. But you're seeing, you know, Jaron grab Jared Vanderbilt's shorts trying to get by him. The off arm comes out. And Jaron just has to be more disciplined and has to be more careful. We really need to see a good Jaron Jackson Jr. game in this series. Jaron's averaging just 10.5 points per game. And in the two games in Minnesota, he had 13 total points. That's it. He was only able to play 44 minutes in two games. 22 minutes a game is not what the Grizzlies need from Jaron Jackson Jr. They need something more. Jaron played only 18 minutes in game five before fouling out. Finished with 12 points. Had a decent shooting, shooting night going. Four of nine. Had five rebounds. Four of them on the offensive end. But Jaron has to stay on the floor. So he has to be more disciplined. And the Grizzlies have to make free throws, play with poise, play with a sense of desperation. And then I think you walk away with, with a game six win. Again, if I'm the Grizzlies, I don't want to think about, well, we've got two to win one. You got one to win one. So try and get that taken care of if you possibly can. And those are the PD's points for today. And before we get to Chris Harrington as our friend of the program, we tell you that today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. You know the NBA playoffs means next-level basketball. So get in on the first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. Remember, all DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet during the first round with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, place a same-game parlay each day with three or more legs and get up to $25 in free bets if one leg doesn't hit. So, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. Promo code TBPN. At DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. In Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. In Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado or New Hampshire, 1-800-522-4700. In Connecticut, 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. In Louisiana, 
1-877-770-STOP. In New York, 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Oregon, visit opgr.org. In Tennessee, call or text the Tennessee Red Line at 1-800-889-9789. Or in Virginia, call 1-888-532-3500. You must be 21 or older, 18 or older in Wyoming. You must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And with that, it's time for our friend of the program. He is a repeat and return friend of the program. If you are looking for the most well-thought-out takes on the NBA and the Memphis Grizzlies, you always turn to Chris Harrington. Chris Harrington has written for every publication there is in Memphis. He has written for some of the national uh, NBA magazines as well with season previews. Uh, he follows the data, but he also uh, includes the eye test. And if you're looking for someone who never overreacts when it comes to uh, the Memphis Grizzlies or the NBA, Chris Harrington is your man. He is the most thoughtful NBA writer in the market, and that's no disrespect to any of the other uh, NBA folks here in Memphis. But uh, always rely on Chris Harrington for the best and most measured takes. And we get his take on this series and uh, what to look for going forward. He's our friend of the program. Chris, you've been on the scene for any number of remarkable moments of Grizzlies playoff history. Uh, we're recording this less than 24 hours after the completion of Game 5. How does Game 5 recency bias perhaps included how does game five rank in the pantheon of uh great grizzlies playoff moments that's a great question it's one i wish i was better prepared to answer but i'm sure gonna try i have not had a chance to um fully contextualize that i'm sort of still in the moment after being up so late last night but when you think of like and maybe you you'll have some answers i don't come up with off the top of my head but when you think of big shots in the playoffs I mean, hitting a hitting hitting a, a layout with one second on the clock to break a tie and win a game um, is pretty big. Uh, you know, Marcus All hit a game winner in overtime against the Spurs, and I believe 2017. That was a series that even when he hit that shot, I don't think the Grizzlies really you could believe they were going to win. Unlike this one, and I, this was a more meaningful game. Um, and then I go back to 2011, the Shane Battier three at San Antonio in Game One was an enormous shot in the history of this franchise. Um, I think Zach, Zach Randolph's three-pointer in game three of that same series. Maybe there's some individual shots in between. I mean, I'm, I plucked from two, two from 2011 and one from 2017. I'm probably forgetting something in there. But have we had, like, game winners? Like, that was a that was not quite a walk-off, but almost a walk-off game winner. And so, I, to me, that, that jaw layup and that, that Marcus Hall overtime shot are the two I remember as being – like true game winning shots. Yeah, those are the only two, according to Grizzlies Media Relations, those are the only two with under 10 seconds remaining in a playoff right. game. So so that that certainly ranks. This series is, I guess to use one term, this series is drunk. Uh yeah, you know, you, yeah. have, you have the comeback from 26 down, and then you have the comeback last night in game five. And I'm curious as to your perspective, when Ja dunks at the end of the third quarter. Obviously, it was a shot of adrenaline for the crowd. I wasn't convinced that that was going to be the springboard to winning the game, particularly because 
then the Timberwolves go on a little run themselves. When that dunk happened, as spectacular as it was, it may have been, may have been one of the better in-game dunks in playoff history. Did you think that that was going to be the springboard to what ultimately would be a Game 5 win? I wouldn't say I had confidence in that. It was funny you called this the series drunk, and I agree it's a good descriptor. Maybe it's appropriate because I think the drunkest game of the whole regular season was against Minnesota, the, the game that they came and played in Memphis that I think went overtime and all kinds of just crazy stuff happened late in the fourth quarter of that game. Um, I believe Brevin just about passed out at some of the uh, some of the decisions that the rules made late in that game, if I remember I they, correctly. I think they missed like nine straight shots until Towns threw in that ridiculous three right. to send the game to overtime. Yeah. Right. Um, to me, what was I? I wasn't sure if that moment was going to ignite the Grizzlies, but to me, what was interesting about it and remains interesting about it is like what it meant for John Morant. It was almost like he'd been struggling not just for three quarters, but by his standards for two games and three quarters. Uh, if you go back to the games in Minnesota. And a lot of people, myself included, were speculating about injury-related stuff. I think for a lot of good reasons, including him himself saying he wasn't healthy. Um, and you wondered if he just didn't have it to, to summon like Pete Ja. And it felt like that was a moment where he just he just decided in the instant, I I'm gonna flip a switch for myself. And to me, what was notable is he came out in the first play, the second. Fourth quarter tried to do the same thing. He missed it, but it was like to me it compounded. It sort of doubled down on the message he was sending. Certainly, maybe most of all to himself, but maybe secondarily to the team, to the arena, to whatever. That okay, like we're going hard starting now. And to me, that dunk at the end of the third was kind of a starter's pistol on on what happened the rest of the game. Even if it wasn't instantaneous, because to your point, the biggest lead the Wolves had all game happened after that. It was after Towns hit the three, they went up thirteen. But to me, that dunk began the attack mode John Morant, and the attack mode John Morant is what turned the game around. And then yeah. you get him attacking, you get the offensive rebounding, you get the intensity. And to me, that that did sort of begin the process of what led the Grizzlies to win that game. And then from that point on, he goes, what, 9 of 10 from the free throw line, where right. he, he, he started, he started, started to a seven. seven. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and that, was, that had to be frustrating for him. I was looking back at the numbers, and you talked about his struggles in the games at Minnesota where he had a grand total of 16 paint points in games three and four. He had 16 last night alone. And Brevin talks about, talks about the boxes and elbows defense that Minnesota throws at him. Uh, he has struggled when he has been in Minnesota for whatever reason. Is there reason to believe that game five jaw can carry over in, and become game six jaw on the road where he has struggled in Minnesota? And if so, how does he do that? Well, I mean, I think it, 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 at a base, it gives you the belief that it's possible that that, that you know you, you you don't long believe he is physically encumbered from doing so. Um, that you know, I don't know whether he ever was. I sort of feel like he was, maybe, but he had the two games two games rest. You certainly that showed you that what is still possible from John Morant. Um, Will it be harder at Minnesota? It probably will. I mean, the crowds there have been ferocious. I think the, their coach, Chris Finch, has devised a good defensive game plan against John Morant. They play they play what they call this high-wall defense, where they basically bring two guys up at the, at the start of every possession. They're trying to get the ball away from him, get, get him to give up the ball, get him, keep him out of the paint. I think it, it was particularly effective um, in Minnesota in particular. But – I mean, John Morant was – I thought he was great in game two, the game the Grizzlies won in Memphis. 
I don't think he played a great all-around game in game one. He certainly was effective at getting into, into the paint and pressuring their defense. And so, you know, he's done this three out of five games, basically. I don't see any reason why he can't do it in a game six. One of the guys that has definitely surprised. I mean, we knew that Brandon Clark had tremendous bounce, but I think if you had talked about and broken down this series before it started and you had Brandon Clark as one of the headliners, people probably would have been scratching their heads. He has, and, and Brevin and I have always been big fans of his game, but there's something about his game this year, and I think part of it might be health, but I'm curious as to your observations, what Brandon Clark has done, not only in the regular season, but particularly here in the playoffs, what has made him so effective? Well, I think, I think, I mean, he's been, he's had a great season. Um, so he could be doing this against anyone, but I do think this matchup is pretty good for him. Um, Minnesota was either 28th or 29th on the season in defensive rebounding. Grizzlies were first in offensive rebounding. I think, you know, Steven Adams has sort of gone missing in the series for strategic reasons because of defense. If he were playing, I think he'd be feasting on the offensive boards too. But Brandon Clark is a player who's a really active um, offensive rebounder. He's really active, obviously, in the paint. This is a Wolves team that doesn't really have a lot of, you know, what the NBA calls a rim protection. And other than Carl Anthony Towns, doesn't have a lot of size, period. They play pretty small. Um, and I think this is a this this is this defense as sort of for, for the high wall they put up against John Morant, that high wall sort of masks a, a weakness if you can get past it. And I think Brandon Clark is someone whose activity, whose touch, whose sort of relentlessness, I think we really saw that in the fourth quarter. Um, of game five, that this is a team that that is susceptible to what he does well. And what he does well, he is doing at an extremely high level in this series. Brandon and Desmond Bain also playing at a very, very yeah. high level. I, when he was drafted, so many people around Memphis said, well, a great three-point shooter. But he has really sharpened his game in so many areas, and defensively as well. And I think his defense during this during this series has been good as well. Again, from your perspective, what have you seen from Desmond Bain that has been most impressive? I think his intensity combined with his composure. Um, I, I think the Grizzlies have, for whatever, you know, Whatever, whatever limitations you might see from a skill standpoint, you know, that maybe separates these players from the elite of the elite on the wing. They have two real gamers on the wing in, in, in Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks. And I think that's been huge for them in the series. And with Bain, you combine that sort of intensity and composure with the shot making ability and that shot making ability. Um, I mean, th- th- that, that's the reason, that's the main reason they probably, they, they're, they're in a space to come back and win that big comeback in game three, um, him just keeping them in the game. And so I think, you know, being someone who came off the bench in the Utah series and made some shots, but didn't get a lot of shots, did not play a big role in that series. And to me, one of the sort of under the radar subplots of the series to tie Desmond Bain to Brandon Clark and throw Tyus Jones in there too. These are three players who did not play big roles in the Utah series. Bain came off the bench, played Far fewer minutes. Um, Tyus Jones, they did not play a lot of John Brant and Tyus Jones together against Utah. So, so Tyus Jones averaged nine minutes a game against Utah. And Brandon Clark basically didn't play. He played like six minutes the whole series. He did not play meaningful minutes at all in that series. And for all three of those players, you know, to break through from last season's playoffs to this season's playoffs, and in some ways, maybe they've been the three most consistent players on the whole team for the Grizzlies in this series. So I, I think I think it's been a huge series for all three of those guys. 
it's been a huge series for them. I think it's also spoken to Taylor Jenkins' flexibility, malleability, whatever you want to say, to get the best matchups. It's not terribly common to have the guy who started at center for you the entire season say, you're just going to have to sit now because you're a bad matchup in the playoffs. Where have you seen Taylor Jenkins grow from last season to this? Now, understanding last year, of course, they were an eight seed, came through the play-in, and now they're your favorite as a two seed. But where has he matured, you think, as a, as a playoff coach and making adjustments in a, in a seven-game series? Oh, I think he's been quicker and more aggressive to make adjustments. I, the, the Stephen Adams thing is interesting. I've talked to people, some really smart people, um, you know, national media and, and Minnesota media, who sort of second-guess that and wonder, did they go away from Stephen Adams too quickly? That may or may not be true. I don't know. I, I'm not convinced that's true. I, I think it was probably the right adjustment by Taylor Jenkins. But he saw something not working, and he went and he found something that worked, and that pulled them out and got the, and got them game two. I think you look at the fourth quarter last night, um, the way he sort of tightened the rotation as the game went on um, to ride the players who he had, he's, he's, he he now knows in this at least in this matchup that th- these are players he can win with consistently. The guys who finished that game. And then to go all the way to something he hadn't done all series, which is go super small and put Dylan Brooks on Carl Anthony Towns. And Dylan Brooks had a rough shooting game in game five. Is that where we're in game five? But his <laughs> they defense, run into each other after a while. <laughs> yeah, but his defense in, in, in the fourth quarter was crucial in that game. And it's something that, you know, he hadn't done all series. But I think, you know, he, he had the idea in his back pocket to me that, you know what? I've played Dylan Brooks on Julius Randle. I've played him on LeBron James. I've used him on much bigger players, bigger, stronger players. And if he hadn't quite gone against someone that big, Towns is a little bit more of a perimeter-oriented, more comfortable in the perimeter. And Brooks has history of battling against bigger players defensively. I think, you know, Taylor Jenkins had experimented enough with the past in the past with Dylan to feel like this might work and then had the confidence to roll with it. And I think it paid big dividends in, in game five. Yeah, and uh, you see that matchup, and you can almost see Towns thinking, I have to take advantage of this because I am bigger and maybe as strong. I'm, I'm not sure where the, where the strength level comes out there, but he had seven turnovers. I'm not, right. not sure that all of them or a lot of them were against Dylan, but still, that's poise is an issue, I think, for this Minnesota Timberwolves team. And as we go back to Minneapolis for Game 6 on Friday night, What's your what's your prognosis? Because these these are two teams, and and somebody made the comment. I, I think it might have been in the Athletic today. These are two very exciting but but flawed teams. Somebody's got to win this series. What do the Grizzlies have to do to pull it out in six and avoid the roll of the dice? Even though you have home court advantage in a game seven on Sunday. I mean, the Wolves have sort of been team first quarter in this series, and the Grizzlies have been team fourth quarter, and like. If the games are going to be tight, fourth quarter is a pretty good, pretty good time to play your best. I, I, I feel like, you know, we tend to see this series and talk about it. I think, you know, we both, I think, see the whole league and see the other team, but we're, we're looking at it sort of from a Memphis perspective, obviously. I think when you zoom out, one of the real stories of the series is how much Minnesota is struggling to close out games. Um, this is three games in a row. They won game four, but they won it by one point um, after having a big lead. They sort of barely held on, and the Grizzlies have sort of stormed back for three games in a row and outplayed them in the fourth quarter down the stretch. Now, John Morant will tell you, as he did last night, he's tired of playing from behind. So let's pair a good start with a good finish is what John Morant's looking for. But I I think, you know, I don't go into game six from a Grizzlies perspective 
with the any kind of certainty that, that they're going to win. There have been series in the past where I felt just my feel of the series has been, I you know, I, I think I know how this is going. I think this this series has been so tightly contested, um, and the the question of who's actually been the better team is so up for grabs. I, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I know the Grizzlies have been have done a good job of problem problem solving over the course of games and finishing strong, and so. You know, I guess I like their chances, but I'm I'm not I'm not from a Grizzlies perspective, I'm not overly confident about it. But I said, but but you know, I think they got a good chance to close it out. Yeah, I think it is one of those fifty fifty. I mean, it, it's interesting, and I think I gave you the stat last night when in the seven game first round era when two plays seven, the two seed has never lost when the series was tied at two two. They're twelve and zero, and they were eleven and one. Now twelve and one. In game five, sometimes it takes seven games to get the series done. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Chris. I, I, the question of who is really the better team is is really a flip of the coin right now. And this thing could go either way. So if the Grizzlies compare a good start in Minnesota, like you said, uh, and it's a great point you made about problem solving by Taylor Jenkins to get to the to get to the winning time with an opportunity to win basketball games. Maybe maybe they pull it out in Game Six again. You you just don't want to uh, you don't want to roll the dice. I think with a Game Seven and Jaron Jackson Jr. gets some foul problems and you know there's there's a, a weird call here or there or some bad break, some twist of the ankle, and all of a sudden you find yourself maybe losing a home Game Seven, which has happened before, as many uh, Grizzlies fans will remember. It's well, happened. Th- it's happened on a Sunday matinee. So let's not let's not let's not follow that parallel too much. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Chris, thanks so much for the visit. And uh, are you going to Minneapolis for Game Six? I am. I'll be there, at Target Center, Game Six. See you there. All right. Sounds good, Chris. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Pete. So Chris will be at Target Center. I'll be at Target Center with uh, Rob Fisher and Brevin Knight to bring you the call on Bally Sports Southeast. It is Game Six. Grizzlies try to win a playoff series for the first time since they eliminated the Portland Trailblazers in five games at FedEx Forum. Uh, should also point out that it will be the last regional telecast. If there is a Game Seven, it would be on ABC on Sunday, which means it's not eligible for a regional sports network to carry. So it'll be the swan song for Fish BK and for me. And uh, it's been a great season on the television side. Hope that you have enjoyed the telecast. Hope that you enjoyed today's edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network, brought to you by the Hoop City Basketball Club and by DraftKings Sportsbook. Thanks for your listenership. Please rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends More to come on the Grizz Weekly Grind. Hopefully we'll talk about a Grizzlies series victory over the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm Pete Branica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.